Well, we're behind, excuse me, we're at home this morning, given the fact that it is snowing and sleeting, would you believe, in Austin, Texas. And so, although uh, we, we had a number of people show up at church, uh, the consensus was that they needed to go back home before the streets got too slick. So, uh, Tommy and I are here in the house. I'm at, in my study. And we're going to continue with the lesson that we would have had at church had we uh, not had this, quote, inclement weather, though it's kind of nice to see a little snow and sleet since we seldom get to see that here in Austin. All right, before we begin, as is our custom, and there will not be any music, we will have our prayer and our lesson and our giving opportunity. Uh, let's use First John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to come together and to study Your Word. Now guide us and direct us as uh, we're coming together on our website and also on our podcast. So we're grateful that uh, You have provided opportunity for us to teach the Word. So guide us and direct us as we recognize that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, I am going to mention uh, giving because giving is an act of worship and I would be uh, remiss if I did not uh, give opportunity to give because you can give, as you'll remember, uh, according to Second Corinthians eight twelve, for if for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So wherever you are, you can, in the privacy of your mind, give, even though you may not have anything to give, and, and that very often is the case. Uh, sometimes God tests us. Uh, and since we don't believe in uh, Old Testament giving in terms of the tithe, where the scripture says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in thine house and prove me now herewith. If the Lord of heaven will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall be no rumor, no rumor to Receive it. No room to receive it. And that uh, is a, a promise that is reiterated in a little different way in the New Testament. But uh, keep in mind, if you have a willingness, you gave. Now let's go to another requirement. Second Corinthians 9, 7. These are two verses that are Summarize New Testament giving because the two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, do in fact uh, summarize New Testament giving. So let's look at chapter 9, verse 7. If you have something to give, you still have a requirement to perform a little mental attitude exercise here. It says, every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a cheerful giver. So you got to be able to be a cheerful giver or you ought to keep your money. That's just the scripture. Uh, so it's important. Mental attitude is important. It is a grace aspect as is all worship. So with that said, I'm going to pause for a moment of silent prayer. You think about giving and exercise your prerogatives as prescribed by 2 Corinthians 8.12 and 2 Corinthians 9.7 as summary verses about giving. Let us pray.
Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word and to give. Now, I would ask a very special blessing upon both the gift and the giver. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as I thought about my messages uh, and how we live today in a very contentious time, we have problems in our country, and uh, no doubt uh, we have proscriptions found in the scripture about what we ought to do. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 14 says, if my people, and that would be you and I as Christians, which are called by my name, Christians, shall humble themselves. How do you humble yourselves? Well, you show up when Bible doctrine is taught. Just as the First Peter, First Peter says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him. Shall humble themselves and pray, says the chronicler, and seek my face. In other words, seek Him. How do you do that? Well, you name your sin back to God and you take in the, way, in the Word. And then it says, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians seven fourteen. You listen to it. You, you, you take it to heart. This is how we're going to heal our land. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And my job, my job is summarized in Scripture just as your job is summarized there in Second Chronicles 7.14. And also my job, by the way, is I am to humble myself and pray and turn from my wicked ways. But I'm to do something else, you see. And I'm going to read a what I call a modern translation or expanded translation of Second Timothy chapter two verses four through seven. Paul said this of himself, and I don't think I would be out out of place in not assuming that that's a message for me also. Here we go. First Timothy chapter two verses five through seven. God appointed me a preacher and an apostle for one purpose, to make clear that there is only one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the God-man, Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself a ransom for all, his testimony having come in its proper time. What I am telling you is the truth. I am not lying. I am a teacher of the true faith. Now, I'm not an apostle because the gift of apostleship went away with the completion of the canon, but I am a preacher and a teacher of the true faith. That's my job. And I hope I'm doing it. And if not, God will discipline me. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Therefore despise not the chastening of the Lord. Alright, now let's see what we can find here in our, our lesson. It's t- entitled, The Temple. And I'm going to give you an introduction, which is also a review. And, and then a historical summary, uh, which is also a review. And in your lesson plan, you'll find I have a chart which shows Solomon's temple. And I've also provided for you a map of the various what we call archaeological tells. In other words, places where there has been a discovery, a digging, if you will. Digging down and finding old stuff. So those things you'll find in the written lesson. Remember now, if you're 
on the podcast, you can you won't have the written lesson, but you can go to Google and Google the West Bank Bible Church, and then you can look at the West Bank Bible Church uh, and see where on the uh, website you'll have a written lesson and an audio lesson, and these charts will appear for you. All right, so much for that. Now let's go. Last week I taught in part the doctrine of the temple, and when the clock told 11.30, we were in the process of studying Solomon's temple. I want to review some of that learned last week and then begin new material on page 3. That's page 3 in the written lesson for those of you who are following along on the website. All right, the tabernacle was not a temple, though it served the purpose of what would later be known as the temple. The tabernacle was a large tent. You remember we studied that. We saw a schematic of the tabernacle tent. And it was constructed of very specific specifications which were given to Moses in approximately 1450 B.C., 1,450 years, of course, before our Lord Jesus Christ came. All right, it served as a model structure which was carried during the travels of the Exodus and at other times as they traveled. Now, there was a great big tent, like Barnum and Bailey kind of thing, you know. They opened it up, laid it out, and that was their Bible because they didn't have a Bible. The scrolls hadn't been scrolled, if you will, written, nor had they been distributed. Now, following the tabernacle, that is the big tent. In fact, the word in the Greek is ohel, and it means tent, big tent. There were five temples that followed. We had the temple of Solomon, the temple of Zerubbabel, the temple of Herod the Great, the temple for Christ during his reign in the millennium, as described by Ezekiel, as we'll see. And then there's another temple. The temple of God in the church age as the home of the believer's soul. And we saw that it's specifically stated, your body is the temple of God. Act accordingly. And that is in 2 Corinthians 6.16. And Paul makes warning of don't marry an unbeliever. Well, your, your body is the temple of, it is the temple of God. Why would you join a, he calls it the Lord. A prostitute, it actually means anyone who's not your right woman if you're a man, or your right man if you're a woman. A woman to a man and a man to a woman. Alright, now let's look at a historical summary as a by way of review. Uh, you remember last week we looked at the word hekal, H-E-K-A-L, and notice how it's translated as a temple, a big building. And I provided you Solomon's temple on a chart, colored chart. It shows you this giant temple. The giant nature of the temple doesn't show the chart, but you got to imagine hundreds and hundreds of animals being brought, slaughtered, blood taken, smeared, uh, many priests, you know, serving. But there it is. There it is. All right, so the word Hekal was sometimes used in era of heathen temples like in Joel 3, 5, as we saw. And we find it on the Internet from time to time. Somebody will say, oh, we found so-and-so's temple. And it'll be maybe an Ammonite, a Jebusite, a, a, you know, one of the ice, Parasite, etc. Well, no, that's, that's generally not a big building. It's a little place where they would go to pray. And then you find in the Northern Kingdom, they actually tried to, to uh, build small temples where they could go and pray because they couldn't go all the way down into Judah. It was just too far uh, for them to go. So they, in the northern kingdom, which is a sad state of affairs anyway. You remember where Solomon died and he left uh, Rehoboam as the rightful king and uh, unfortunately, people came and 
asked him how he was going to how he was going to rule. He said twice as hard or harder than my dad did. You know this this caused them to go get another man named Jeroboam, and you had the northern kingdom with Jeroboam in charge in the southern kingdom. It's called the split kingdom. You had Israel in the north, Judith on the south. That's another story for another time. So, Hekal was sometimes used in era of heathen temples. And uh, I would want you to understand that uh, those uh, Canaanites had places where they worshipped, but usually they were what we call the high places where they would go up on the mountaintops and they would have orgies, if you will. They would have child sacrifice and they would wash worship false gods. And we're talking about the Archites, the Ammonites, the Can- the Philistines, the Jebusites, uh, Hittites, on and on and on. And of course, what were they to do? Perishites, Canaanites, Jebusites, they were to... Uh, kill these people. But many times they didn't. And as a result, that caused Israel as a nation problems. you got to always do what God says if you want to have happiness. And I would refer you to our doctrine of happiness, which is on the internet. Pastor Marriage Study Books. All right, so as contrasted to the open-air high places, the pagan temples were considered as houses or dwelling places of various deities and only secondary, secondarily, as you will, as places of worship. And how do we know this? Well, there's what we call the Ra Shonra tablets found at Ugarit. And if you know where Carmel is in that little area of land that juts out into the Mediterranean, just north of there was a tell. You can see it there on your map, which I've provided for you. Again, it's El Fukuhara. And uh, they dug down there and they found this at at the Ugarite site. They found information about what happened on those high places. And would you believe they are described in detail, not only in the Rashamra tablets, but in Scripture. So the Rashamra tablets found at Ugarit documented horrific practices. And of course, Ugarit itself was an ancient city which had been discovered and thoroughly analyzed by archaeologists. And uh, Ugarit was located under the Tel Fukhar. I've spelled it for you there. T-E-L. Then you have another word. F-U-K-H-K-H-A-R. And that's in your lesson plan. And the Bible describes their heinous practices and and prohibits them. But they're the same as in the Ugarit tablets, which, by the way, was uh, a major town located there where the uh, Rashamra tablets were found in the Hittite Empire. Let me just read you Leviticus 8.3. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. And the Leviticus 18.21 and 22. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech. For you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. So God instructed Moses to alert the children of Israel to evil practices of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan and resist their worship rituals. Given Israel would soon enter the land of Canaan, God inspired Moses to warn of the temptations they would encounter In fact, the Bible ordered Israel to annihilate those in Canaan as a means of avoiding their religious contamination. The Rosh Hashanah tablets and the Bible mention child sacrifice as a common practice in the groves where sexual perversion pervaded. So God has provided, don't do this. 
Don't do that. Like the Canaanites. Alright, at several Israelite sites, beginning with the divided monarchy, several enclosed sanctuaries have been found. These sites were in the main facades located in the northern kingdom, Israel. But we also found that there was a man named Melchizedek, who was a Jebusite. And I'm sure he, you know, subscribed to the false practices of the Jebusites, which, by the way, have their own God, uh, not the God of Israel. But he captured a city up there. And by the way, it's, it's going to be the same city that David's going to recapture in uh, roughly 960 or so. But way back when, when Avram, remember Avram made his move into the Promised Land roughly in 2000 B.C., and he got into the land, and several years later, he had to go rescue Lot, uh, who was in the, a pagan portion of the land, and uh, he was victorious. Guerrilla warfare, very successful. And Avram, when he returned back to his area, which was, of course, in Judah, uh, he stopped by this city. It was called Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim. In other words, it's really uh, going to be the basis for the word Jerusalem. But it means the city of peace. And it's used to describe Christ to come because when Melchizedek came out, Abraham was generally the man who got the tithe. But in this case, Abraham gave the tithe. His name at that time was Avram. Avram gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Now, why is that? Well, you have to go to the book of Hebrews to find out why. Because it's to describe the fact that Christ is going to come and he's going to be the Messiah by means of victory, just like Melchizedek was. book of Hebrews explains all this, but I'm not going to get into that, except we do have information about that on the Internet, but... Let's move on. Let's see what Amos had to say. He denounced the worship at Beersheba and Gilgah and compared it with the temples which Jeroboam the first, remember he was the guy selected to rule again the northern kingdom called Israel. Jeroboam the first, and it was built at Dan and Bethel on the northern and south borders of his kingdom. You can find that in Amos 5 5. The walls forming an Israelite high place at Dan have been discovered, but no temple building has yet been located at this distant site. That's why you have to be careful when you read the internet. They use the word, for example, temple was found. Melchizedek's temple, temple was found. But then one of our members looked at it and studied it thoroughly and found out, no, it's a little small place inside the city where he prayed, but they called it a temple. It's not a hekau, a large building. In the normal sense of the word temple, it is not. Art in the Greek, there are two terms that mean temple. Now we're leaving the Hebrew language where hekau is used. Now we're going to two words, hieros and naos. Now the more general hieros, the place of the priest, which applies to the entire temple complex with all its courts and auxiliary buildings. The more specific is Naas, which means the sanctuary, shrine, the chief temple building itself. And you can look on the map that I provided you on page 2, I guess it is, of this lesson. And you can see a very large area, which only a smaller portion of that area uh, was the uh, temple itself, the Naas. So now let's stop for a moment and let's quit talking about temples in general, both pagan temples and real temples. And Let's look at Solomon's temple. That was the first temple that followed the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent. Now we're going to go to a building that Solomon built. Actually, God, as we're going to see, told David, you can't build it, but you can prepare it for it. <clears throat> by getting all the materials ready so that your son Solomon can build the temple. All right, the building was completed in 960 B.C., requiring a total of seven and a half years. You can read about that in 1 Kings 
and also First Kings six verses thirty seven. 37 and 38. Alright, the origin of this house of worship is credited to David in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. There God ordered David to replace the tabernacle with a permanent building. Although David was forbidden to build this house because he was a warrior and had shed blood, he purchased much of the material to be used in the construction. And you can read about that in 1 Chronicles 28 verses 3 through 4 and 2 Samuel 24 21. And if you read all that, and you read all of the things that he went and got in preparation for his son Solomon to build the temple, you can just envision, envision if you will, those of you who have ever worked in a manufacturing facility can can envision a huge stock room. Or maybe you work at uh, Amazon. I know we have a couple of our tapers. I call them tapers. People that worship with us over the internet who work at Amazon at their big place up there in the Northeast. And I can just imagine the similar huge warehouse that David had for all of the things that were needed to build the temple. And they're listed. Things are listed, listed, listed. Not all of them, of course. But it gives you an idea of what he had prepared. And... uh, We'll see a little bit more about that later on. All right, David, of course, committed the task to his son Solomon in terms of the building of the temple because that's what God said to do. First Chronicles 22, 6. All right, the plan of this edifice was similar to that of the tabernacle, but the dimensions were doubled with the height triple that of the farmer's sanctuary, if you will. The, the uh, Ohel. Alright, the stone walls were lined with carved cedar, which was overlaid with gold. First Kings 6.22, and the whole house, he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the house, also the whole altar that was by the oracle, he forelaid with gold. Now, we're going to get very specific about the temple, but I don't want us to lose the meaning of the temple and why God gave it to Israel. It's their Bible. In other words, when they came, as we, we've studied this now previously, so I'm not going to go in detail, but it actually describes Christ coming, going to the cross, shedding his blood, which took care of the sins of the world. He is going to come. And you have a place that represents logistical grace as God takes care of us. You have a lampstand that tells us that Christ is going to be the light of the world. And you have the veil, which was rent when Christ, of course, was on the cross and took care of the sin problems with his spiritual death. And you have the Ark of the Covenant that had three things in it, all of which had a, a meaning. See, so it's communicating, it's communicating, it's communicating. It is a training aid. The ritual does nothing. Sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not but a body thou hast prepared for me. That's what they sang outside. Which told them, Christ has to come in a body. And go to the cross and die spiritually for the sins of the world. Let's go on. I'm going to read 1 Kings 6, 16 and then 1 Kings 6, 20. He partitioned off 20 cubics at the rear of the temple with cedar boards from floor to ceiling to form within the temple an inner sanctuary of the most holy place. That's the Holy of Holies. That's where the ark was. That's where he had two angels over it, two covering angels. One was representative of Gabriel. The other was representative of Michael. Where's the third one? Well, there's another covering angel mentioned in Scripture, and that's Lucifer. But he fell, so he's not there. So it teaches the angelic conflict to Israel way back when. Now let's look at 1 Kings 6.20. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide, and 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. And he also overlaid the altar of cedar. Alright, the entrance to the Holy of Holies consisted of a double door of olive wood with carvings and overlaid with gold. Let me read you 630 and 631. What is this the entrance of? The Holy of Holies. What's inside? The altar of incense. What's inside the altar? You have the rod that budded. You have the table of showbread. You have the uh, vase full of manna. Provision. See, these things all represent something. We've covered that, so I'm not gonna, not gonna, uh, 
tell you again. <laughs> you can look it up if you will. Like Casey Single, you know, when they used to ask Casey questions that he couldn't answer, he'd say, why, look it up. And that's what I say. Look it up. All right, now let's go on. The doorway stood open, but was veiled with material similar to that in the tabernacle, evidently held in place by gold chains in front of the partition. In the Holy of Holies, or inner sanctuary, was placed the Ark of the Covenant, its topper lid being called the Mercy Seat. It stood between two cherubim, in other words, two angels, which were ten cubits high, being made of olive wood covered with gold. It is believed that these appeared as winged sphinxes with the lion's body and a human face. The wings of the cherubim were outstretched and touched each other over the ark. You can read about that in 1 Kings 23 through 26, 2 Chronicles 3, 10 through 13. Now in the Holy of Holies, the holy place, God especially manifested His presence by His Shekinah glory. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to see a Shekinah glory? We will one day. All we got to do is ask. You'll be known as you are known. You'll be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, can't wait. All right, in the holy place where the altar of incense, ten golden lamps stood with seven lamps to each stand and ten tables, shables of showbread. The lamp of the world, the light of the world is Christ. That's what the lamps represented. The Holy Spirit represented the whole, the little... Reservoir where the oil was. He provides the, the oil to get the work done, the light. And Christ was provided the whole work of the Holy Spirit to get His work done, just as He provides it for me and for you. Alright, let's go on now. Now the showbread, you remember we talked about that. That represents logistical grace. The things that you need and I need to get us to Bible class. The things that I need to keep me going to study, 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 study. And the things that you need to be able to get to the internet or to get to the, uh, the, uh, door post, uh, which is, of course, podcast in our case, where you can learn. Podcast, you can go there. Website, you can go there. And you can find all the Bible doctrine that you could possibly digest, it's available to you. All you have to do is want it, and God provides it to you. Feed me till I want no more. All right, now when Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon in 586 B.C., Solomon's temple was plundered of its wealth, and building was burned to the ground. 2 Kings 25.9, And he burnt the house of the Lord, and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. Periodic plundering, by the way, had occurred earlier. You know, in the days of Shishak, his invasion in 925. And of course you had, uh, you had 6, 606 BC, 597 BC, and 586 BC when, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in three different soirees into Jerusalem. But then you had the Assyrians who came down. Notice 1 Kings 14, 25, and 26. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. He was the ruler of the southern kingdom. He was the son of Solomon. That Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. I said Assyrians, I'm sorry. The Assyrians attacked the northern kingdom, but the Egyptians attacked the southern and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He even took away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Now we're through with the, you might say, the first few chapters of the book. <laughs> In other words, the Bible. The temple, Solomon's temple. Now let's look at Herod's temple. Herod the Great. He was the, the guy who was in charge when Christ was born. He, he built the temple in Jerusalem to appease the Jews and the building took 46 years. He actually just modified uh, what we call Rehoboam's temple, which we've already talked about. Uh, and the Rehoboam's temple was smaller and Herod's temple was... Uh, if you want to read all about the building of the... the uh, oh, I'm going to call it Zerubbabel's temple, though it's called Nehemiah's temple. You can go to my 
the, the home page and you'll see Zechariah. You can go uh, click on Zechariah and you'll have all the chapters of the book of Zechariah, which was written in 520 when Zerubbabel was ordered to go and rebuild the temple. And the book of Zechariah is about first rebuilding the ark and then they stopped and he had to kick him in the rear end, if you will. That God sent Zechariah to do just that, but he also sent Haggai. Book of Zechariah and Haggai about the rebuilding of the temple. You can read all about that. And I've got the whole study done. I mean, I worked and worked and worked and worked. I translated that book. I read what Unger had to say. I read what Thame had to say. And I actually exegeted the entire book. And that's a big job in Hebrew. But I enjoyed it so much. Just as I enjoy teaching you so much. All right. Now let's forget about Zerubbabel's temple now because we have talked about that before and taught that before. But Herod the Great built the temple in Jerusalem to appease the Jews. It took 46 years. Notice John 2.20. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? <laughs> this was when Christ said, I'll, I'll knock that thing down, even though it is beautiful. He agreed. They would tell him, Oh, ain't it beautiful? Oh, it's so wonderful. Herod did a great job. Zerubbabel first, now Herod modified. Zerubbabel's temple. And you're going to knock it down in three days? Well, he meant, of course, something a little different. But they wouldn't understand until the Holy Spirit came. And after Jesus left, the Holy Spirit came. He would teach them. Now let's go on. The temple was smaller than the Temple of Solomon, but enlarged over the temple constructed by Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's temple has little scripture describing it. However, we do know it was small and did disappoint the people. You remember I mentioned Haggai. <laughs> well, Haggai came just as Zerubbabel came. They were, they were, I mean, Zechariah, excuse me, in order to urge the Jews to build the temple just as God had encouraged Cyrus to do and had encouraged, again, Artaxerxes to do. They were Gentiles who were urged to the Jews should go back and rebuild the temple. God told us it's okay. God told us, in fact, we should. In fact, Isaiah had prophesied Cyrus was going to say that. But that's another story. All right, Zerubbabel's temple has little scripture describing it. However, no, it was disappointment. I'm going to read you the disappointment. Haggai 2, verses 1 through 7. This temple, by the way, was Zerubbabel was completed in 516. Not Herod's temple. That was completed, of course, as you know, as we've already said, it took 46 years to build it, but he finally got it done. Alright, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. I'm going to read you now, Haggai 2, reading through verse 7. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozak. Zerubbabel was the political leader. Joshua was the high priest. Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And to the remnant of the people, asked Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. In other words, finish that altar and get that temple built. The altar they built first, and then they stopped. So Haggai's urging them to move on, move on, finish. Put a house over that ark, that altar, excuse me. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. All right, the temple of Herod. And of course, one day the Lord is going to fulfill that in spades when he returns at the second advent. All right, the temple of Herod, in contrast, was said to have been a magnificent structure built of beautiful stones. I'm going to read you. 
Matthew 25, 41, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. They were so proud of that temple. And the Lord said, I'm going to knock it down in three days. But he didn't mean that. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Isn't it beautiful, in other words? All right, there was a beautiful gate located on the east side leading on to Solomon's porch. Remember I told you about Hieros and I told you about Naas? Two different things. You had a lot there beside just the temple where the sacrifices were done, like Solomon's porch. Acts 3.10, And they knew that it was he, the lame man, which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. You remember Peter and John came in and there was this guy who sat there on the steps as it led into Solomon's porch, which Solomon's porch could lead then into the temple. But remember, only the priest could go in to the temple itself and only the high priest once a year into the Holy of Holies. All right, the temple had an, on the east gate near the city gate leading to the Mount of Olives, a porch designated Solomon's porch. Mount of Olives now is where Christ is going to return. It's the place where he left, by the way, when uh, those men of Galilee that I told you all about the Wednesday night service, uh, they were men of Galilee, but they were standing there in Judah. And they were looking at the Lord and he just went up into heaven right in front of their eyes. Oh, ye men of Galilee, did you see that? All right, the temple had on the east side near the city gate leading to the Mount of Olives, a porch designated Solomon's porch. Notice John ten twenty three, and Jesus walked in the temple of, in Solomon's porch. Acts three eleven, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Oh, that guy was tippled, excuse me, tickled to death, if you will. He was lame from birth, and here he was begging on the steps all the time. And you remember that's when uh, the disciples said, you know, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. Get up and walk. So, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. All right, this temple was a place where great wealth was accumulated. We know that from Mark twelve forty one, and Jesus sat over against the treasure, in other words, across to it. He'd sat down and he watched and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And they had a big bell, by the way, kind of like, I'm, I'm assuming how it looked. I don't know how it looked, but I, I think it was sometimes as a huge bass, uh, you know, horn, bass horn. And it got a big bell on it, you know. People would cast their money in. Cling, cling. I have another story about that, but I'm not going to tell you. I heard a preacher say once, now I don't want to hear any jingling money when you put money in that wash tub because he put out, I'm telling you now, he put out a wash tub one time, a great big Baptist church in Waco. He wanted an elevator and he was retiring. So he put out several wash tubs there and they played onward Christian soldiers and everybody went by and put in money till he had enough to build his, his, his elevator in the facility, uh, education facility. And, uh, he made this statement, I don't want to hear any jingling money in there, folks. I want nothing but the, the paper money and the checks. All right, and here we go. It is here that Zacharias, the officiating priest, priest, Received a promise of a son, Luke one eleven and one thirteen. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. That's old John the Baptizer. And then one fifty seven of Luke. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth the son. Oh boy, he was the predecessor to Christ. He would have been Elijah had they believed. That's another story. But it's, in the, it's on the internet. You can find it. Either under the current books or under the archives. Which my webmaster, my son-in-law, David Lee Hammond, has done a marvelous job of reorganizing so you can get to it now and find things that, are, that were taught four, five, six years ago. 
Remember, I've been teaching the Bible 40 years. I've been putting it on the internet. I can't remember how long, but some time. So Jesus was brought to Herod's temple according to the law in Simeon. Bless the infant. Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 21. We'll read right quick through verse 30. It says, On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name of the angel had the name the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, circumcision. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Praise God to that old man. I can relate to old men anymore since I'm 84 now. And uh, he was so happy that he got to finally see the Christ child. And now he could go on. All right, Anna the prophetess dwelled in this temple. Luke 2.37, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayer night and day. All right, Jesus, as a youth, was found in this temple. You remember that story. It came to pass. They found him one. He was in there talking with the scholars, both hearing them and asking questions. Jesus was learning Bible doctrine. All right, Jesus was taken to the pinnacle of this temple during his temptation. Remember those four days, 40 days and 40 nights, excuse me. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and promised him that if he jumped off, the angels would take care of him. All right, Jesus often taught in the temple. Mark fourteen forty nine. I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. All right, Jesus performed miracles in this temple, and it was here that he cast out the money changers. Oh, I'd like to have seen that. And also the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Matthew twenty-one fourteen and Matthew twenty-one twelve, and Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. In other words, Jesus screamed out, You have made my house a commercial place. Now the temple, by the way, of Herod, had its own police force called the Sanhedrin Guard. Acts 4.1 And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, the, ta- the captain of the temple guard. All right, Judas, you'll remember, cast down the pieces of silver in Herod's temple. Matthew 27, 3. Then Jesus, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And remember I told you about the curtain of the temple being torn at the time of the crucifixion? That was something. And behold, the bell of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And that that curtain was actually made in such a way that you couldn't couldn't tear it apart. In fact, they tried. They put two oxen on each end of it, tied them up, and they both ran. They whip them. And if it withstood that, they were okay. All right, the disciples worship in the temple of Herod after the resurrection. Luke twenty four fifty two and 53, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And you remember I've told you already about Peter healing the lame man at the gate of the temple. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, then we drop down to verse 6 and 7. 
and you've had the entire story. Alright, I think at this particular point in time I'm going to I'm going to stop and we're going to have an invitation. An invitation to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as I said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, and here's how you humble yourselves. The Holy Spirit makes the gospel clear. You have no excuses. You know exactly what the scripture means when it says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. For the wrath of God shall abide upon Him. Now, you can't say, I don't understand that, because God the Holy Spirit has promised to make that clear to you. Just as He did the jailer. You remember the jailer? He said, what must I do to be saved? And the scripture says, Paul said, I suspect, could have been Paul or Silas, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then they went with him to his house and his family and his servants all believed. And you could do that right now, wherever you are, whatever you might be doing. I don't know what you're doing. But you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right where you are. Just tell God the Father I'm believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word you will be saved. I'm going to provide a benediction right now. But before I do, there'll be a short moment of silence in order for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and become a member of God's forever family. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together to study your word. Now, I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.